come to prototyping, again, this phrase that I have going on is, is if a picture paints a thousand words, then a prototype paints a thousand pictures. So with a prototype, you are able to, to get a feeling of what a thing is like, not just verbally what, what a product could be. I'm Chris O'Hare, your Quick Win CEO, and as a CEO, I've run many businesses, founded startups, consultant for others, and even won awards. But in this show, we'll be talking to entrepreneurs and experts to help you understand key concepts for your business, along with three quick wins that you can take away and apply to your business today. And every week, we'll be finding out about the entrepreneur themselves and diving into a different but important topic. And at the moment, we're giving away 10 of my favorite business books, including Lean Startup and Business Model Canvas to one lucky winner. And these are great for all levels of skill from a CEO to a founder. And to enter, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, scroll to the bottom and leave a review. And it doesn't have to be detailed. You could just say that you love this podcast. And once you've done that, email me on quickwinceo at hair.digital to say that you've entered. What a show we have in store for you today. Spencer Ayres from Make Ideas is an expert in getting a startup out of your brain and into reality. Clients of his include Samsung, Power MBA, and Digital Catapult. Spencer came onto my radar a few months ago when he and Nick Himmerwick started to create a YouTube series, and I immediately saw his wealth of knowledge on startups. And first we get to understand Spencer and his entrepreneurial spirit before diving deeper into his expertise of prototyping where we talk about how to start building an app and different forms of prototyping, along with the various tools to use, including Marvel and PowerPoint. Before Spencer rounds up the show with his three quick wins and tells us where you can learn more about prototyping your very own app. You're going to enjoy this show, so here we go, Spencer Ayers. So uh, tell me the last thing that you read or watched or did that left an impression on you. Um, It could be a Netflix series, funny video, book that you read. Um, or a quote you heard? I watch a huge amount of YouTube videos. As you can imagine, when you're trying to create YouTube videos, it's one of the biggest places and most important places to kind of get inspiration from. At the moment, I'm basically binge watching a guy called Captain Sinbad. Have you seen, have you seen this guy, Captain Sinbad? No. And he is he's awesome. I showed Nick him the other day. He's a bit less like keen on him as I am, but um, this guy is basically trying to match up or pair kind of comedy comedy videos with um with like self-help and self-improvement videos but done in a really nice way he's kind of a cinematographer he does these this series this is so funny he does this series where he does things about um what the first viewing of a really famous youtuber or really famous director or something so he did basically a thing about pete mckinnon where he basically copied pete mckinnon's act all the things that he does he's like boom whatever it is all that stuff with Pete does and it's absolutely hilarious but the thing is it's done in like homage to these amazing people right so he's a massive Pete McKinnon fan and he does this amazing sketch about like pretending to be Pete McKinnon pretending to be uh, Gary V that's another great one pretending to be Grant Cardone all these great people right and um but the other thing is he's got these really funny videos but then on the other side he does these videos where he's just looking at camera like we are today and talks about his journey really kind of 
I don't want to say I'm going to say it vulnerable because that's kind of a you know it's kind of a, a hot thing at the moment people trying to be vulnerable or, or kind of opening up their hearts people but he does it in a really really nice way and his journey has been really interesting of his like production values and all that kind of stuff but also um the the, the content that he's creating is just like for me it's just on point and I'm definitely trying to emulate some of those things in the kind of content that I'm creating as well so yeah check out check out Captain Sinbad he is amazing doing some really interesting things that's a really fine balance isn't it between you know actual information that you're trying to get across and teaching people about a really interesting point but keeping them entertained right and and we've spoken about a lot about this with YouTube and you're taking that you know that that rule of making sure that they keep their eyes and they're, they're, they're engaged and they don't leave your video right and that's what a lot of b-roll is is all about so that's really interesting so i'm definitely going to check out captain simbad s-i-m-b-a-d yeah yeah you got it yeah, yeah cool yeah, yeah absolutely right. but on that point like i think it's right we, we have this conversation constantly and it's about i think there's various points that suit different people kind of on that balance between pure entertainment and i guess like educational value or learning or like, yeah, like impact that it can have on you or whatever that, whatever that is at, at that other end of the scale. Um, for me, when I'm watching videos, I want to get something valuable out of it. Cause I want to feel like I've made use of that time. The kind of opportunity cost is a thing that's kind of constantly going around in my head. If I'm watching this video, what am I not watching? So I want to be making sure that the stuff that I'm watching is of high value. And it, to that point almost where I, I shun or push away stuff that is just purely for entertainment or purely for joy because I don't see that as a good use of my time. In some ways, right, that's like, it's a bit of a bind. It's a bit of a problem that I have because anything, because like I, like I get annoyed with myself when I'm just watching something purely for joy. But I guess you've got to try and find that balance between for your own as a consumer, but also try and find that balance for yourself as a, as a kind of a creator as well. Really interesting one. Do you think that's the um, entrepreneurial issue that we have is that we have to always get value of everything we do, Like even when we're enjoying ourselves, we have to enjoy it because we need good R&R for the Monday morning when we pick ourselves back up and, and really grind out the days because, you know, our days aren't as fun as a lot of people may think. I think you might be right. That might have, you might have hit on something like there is that constant need for progress and to improve yourself and when you're entrepreneurial or when you're trying to do an entrepreneurial kind of venture every second really does count and so yeah I think that's definitely um a really a really big part of it yeah um but it's that kind of striving for for better as well that mindset of like the one percent every day kind of thing um I got asked this the other day I was doing um it wasn't, wasn't like a job interview, but an interview around doing some work for someone. And they said, well, what do you do? What do you do when you're not working? And I was like, well, what do you do for fun? I was like, my work. And like, well, what do, you, what do you do when you're not working? And I was like, I, I was like, I, that was the hardest question for me to answer. And I was like, okay, luckily I looked outside. I've got this garden. I was like, ah, my family. <laughs> I do things with my family. Like, uh, but it, it was because I was in such focused work mode. It was like, uh, it was, it was kind of hard. It was almost forgetting that this is other life that I have as well. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> that's awful. I, I, I'm sorry, family. If you ever watch this kids, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Luckily, I don't have a family yet, but uh, I, I would probably do the same. So don't feel so bad, Spencer. But um, Thanks, I, I, I have the same feeling like, like, what do I really enjoy doing? And I, and I go out and I'm like, I just want to go home and progress and move forwards. Right. And, and when I go out, I'm like, oh, I just want to get fit. I want to, I want to go out. So I go cycling every weekend to make sure that you know, I'm, I'm keeping up with the exercise, but that's mainly to, to make sure that I'm got the energy to crack on with my, you know, grind, my daily grind every day. So it's really interesting I that, I mean, this yeah. is a conversation for another day, a hundred percent, but, um, you know, that is, entrepreneurial think, issue. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting point because I totally agree with you. And a lot of people talk about the balance, you know, particularly around kind of mental health issues and these kind of things. And without going down that track specifically because that is a that's probably a part two for us at some point but the, I, I do firmly believe that in order for you to do your best work in order for you to be the most present that you can be with your family you've got to focus on yourself first and if you don't get yourself right you're never going to get your work right and you're never going to get your relationships right so actually I I do ruthlessly prioritize my own my, myself first and like some people come to that and when I talk about that they go but it's surely it's your family, surely it's your kids. I'm like, no, because if I'm not my best for my kids, then there's no, if, if I'm not my best, then there's no way I'm going to be my best for the kids. So I think that's a, you know, it's a, it's definitely an interesting conversation. Let's do that in a part two, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that already. Um, but anyway, let's, um, so we've been talking already and no one really knows who you are, right? So give me in your own words, Spencer, what it is that you do, what's your business, what drives you as an entrepreneur? What makes you get out of bed in the morning? I mean, we've already spoken, you know, um, getting away from the wife and kids seems to be a big part of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just, just give us an understanding of what it is for our viewers. Yeah, honestly, this is such a difficult question because every time, every person I speak to, I probably present myself in a slightly different way because I do a lot of different things. I guess if you looked at my Instagram or YouTube or or LinkedIn profiles, you'd see that I'm a product person, a product designer. I'm a facilitator of kind of workshops, uh, that kind of stuff with, with organizations. I'm a content creator, so I do a lot of videos. Really, I'm kind of like, I've, I've all of the experiences that I have had over the last 20 years, probably 20 years plus maybe, have kind of surfaced or, or have have all joined around these three kind of ideas of technology wanting to be around and work with technology wanting to be so that's the first kind of bucket for me the second one if you think of a kind of a venn diagram would be um broadly design or newness or creativity stuff doing doing new things it's a really big thing for me and then the third one is kind of adding value which is where the business side of things comes comes together for me so right in the middle of that is and that, like right in the middle for different people will be different things. But what that means for me is that I'm really interested in helping people create new product ideas, new content, new stuff for different audiences that helps people solve their problems. So I have this real, I have had this real problem in the past of calling myself a designer because I didn't train as a designer. I'm not necessarily a graphic designer, although I can do elements of that. But I think all of those things combined really mean that I, I'm a, you know, I'm a designer at heart. I'm an entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurs are often come from a kind of a design background or at least think in, in kind of design terms of that kind of design thinking mindset. So I guess like the simple answer to your question is that 
I'm a product designer. I help people do do new things, um, particularly focused on that very early stage of of kind of product ideas, which is what we're going to kind of continue to talk about through this uh, through this podcast. Yeah, but I think it'll be really interesting to hear what it is that drives you, right? So what's that thing that makes you get out of bed? And, and is it is it the success? Is it the um, is it the love for what you're doing? I mean, obviously you've got to love what you're doing. Well, not all entrepreneurs have that drive, but what is it that gets you out of bed that makes you go, right, this is a new day, I'm going to smash it? So I think there's a load of things, probably all of those and more, but I'll kind of try and pull them all together in some way. So firstly, if I come back to that point of my ruthless prioritization on me, being really selfish again as I am, um, part of what drives me is me, my improvement, me getting better at whatever it is that I'm doing. Honestly, every single job that I do, every gig that I do, whether that's a two day thing or whether that's a longer term um, piece of work with a client, I'm learning constantly and I'm trying to push myself that bit more. So. I really get a massive buzz out of doing that. I've kind of tried to develop this practice of reflection so I can actually pat myself on the back and I can see where I'm learning and where I'm failing and what I need to improve on constantly. So that's the first thing for me. Massive driver is kind of this, this nonstop desire to improve what it is that I can do. Um, I think the second thing is seeing other people improve. So I was a teacher before I kind of went into this entrepreneurial world. I was taught computer science, um, me, media, film, loads of stuff with creativity, but with technology, if that makes sense. So that kind of perfect intersection again. And that was all about helping people be better with their skills. And there was nothing more incredible than seeing one of your students do something that you've never seen before, surpassing your expectations of them, but also surpassing your abilities. Like when, when the Padwan becomes the master, right? So, and I like that is a joyous, totally joyous thing. Uh, and which is why I'm kind of opening up with the, with the kind of content and trying to support people that are trying to create their own content and trying to support people to create new products and, and design stuff as well. So I think those two things are massive, massive drivers. I think the third thing is like, and I see those as kind of process drivers. The third thing for me is a bit of an outcome driver, which is when you see work that you've done out there published, and you kind of see people interacting and you see the communities that you can create and the contacts and the connections that you can create with people. That's a really powerful thing. So for example, today, literally today, um, where Samsung are launching a program called Soul for Tomorrow, Nick and I actually did a video for them all around design thinking. And that video is being launched today. So I am cannot wait to check out this video although i've seen it probably a million times in the last couple of weeks um can't wait to see it live actually getting people watching it and see how that goes so that 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 kind of final thing is the is seeing the you know um uh, the, the harvest your fruit the fruits of your labor i guess so that's yeah that's the third thing that, that kind of drives me and motivates me yeah, that, I would agree with all of those with myself. Um, and I think, you know, it's the long-term gains as well for me. It's the, uh, you know, where I'm going to be in 10 years time and looking in, because I'm always looking in the future. I'm always looking what's the next thing. What's the thing that, you know, I should be doing after the, what I'm doing today. And, and I feel like 
I have to go on a personal journey to get there, right? And I have to build myself into the person that I need to be to get to the point that I need to be at this place in 10 years time. And a lot of people don't, you know, and do you know what? I was listening to um, a podcast the other day and it was about, you know, the 50 year plan. And I was like, the 50 year, 50 years. I was like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite get my head around 50 year plan. And, and I was like, mate, I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't even begin to think about 10 years, never mind 50 right. years, right? And, and so now I'm looking even further now and trying to plan what in 50 years, because you can essentially with compound, compounding interest, right? If you're getting better every day, you potentially could be where you want to be in 50 years. Obviously, Absolutely. there's always those obstacles and all, all the, the things that might come up. Um, but if, if you've got that vision in your head, you're more than likely going to get there if you keep plodding at it with, with compound interest, right? It's a really interesting thing. Although one kind of counter to that slightly is um, there's an amazing, I don't know if you've ever seen this, amazing um, Oscar speech by Matthew McConaughey. And it's just blew my mind. I watched it. I remember, I remember it from years ago. I think it was 2014, something like that, when he got his Oscar. And he does this speech where he's talking about uh, this story of someone asking him who he who he wants to be who's your hero and he said you know give me some time to think about this but they came back his hero was him in 10 years time so in 10 years time the same person comes back and said did you do it did you did you become your hero and he was like no 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 i'm not even close nowhere near being my hero it's like well what happened is like my hero is 10 years away it's me in 10 years time so it's this idea of Every single day, every week, every year, your hero has to be someone who's further away from you. So, it, and it keeps getting further away because you've got something to strive for. You've got progression going on all the time. I, I love that idea of like never reaching it, but always striving for it. And I think that's a really, um, a really interesting way to look at things. I think obviously to counter that again, um, you always got to have meaningful goals, right? Because then you never get that hit, that reward for for actually achieving things and never giving yourself a pat on the back so and that that's a real issue with entrepreneurs you know once they've hit that thing once they've succeeded or once you know that they never actually enjoy it they always move on to the next thing um it's definitely something i've struggled with and i think as a as an issue from entrepreneurs as a whole you know that balance is super key but that, that comes full circle which is a nice way to end um this section so anyway right you've got this amazing business where you're helping people develop prototypes right so there's going to be a lot of questions like where do you even begin to start with like getting an app done and most people will think you know they just need to go straight into developing an app right they just they commission a developer and they go, right, this is the app and this is what I want to do. But there's a step before that, right? Or there's several steps before that. Now, Absolutely. you're the prototype master. What is it? <laughs> what is it that you think people should begin with when they first start thinking about developing an app? Uh, it's a really, really good question. Really good point. I think you're, you're, you're totally right. A lot of people get hamstrung by this desire to build or they just jump into trying to build something if they can straight away. And I think that is a surefire way to maximize the risk of failure. And the reason for that is because, well, 
if you just think of how business, uh, successful businesses or unsuccessful businesses, I think that the reason, the biggest reason that businesses fail, it's been it's been proven apparently or whatever, is um, is because there wasn't a need for the product that was created. So you have to really firstly understand that what the problem is that people are looking to solve in their lives, and then test and validate that that problem exists even before getting to the solution so i i kind of have this mantra of fall in love with the problem not not with the solution so that's the first thing but you know how do you find the right problem to solve that's a whole challenge i think this is where this idea of design thinking or this process and mindset around design thinking is really important it's these five steps of empathy understanding your customers, your potential users, what problems they're having, what pain points they're having, those kinds of things really important early on. And that can kind of happen through observation, through customer interviews or user interviews, um, but just kind of observing the world around you and trying to find out where people are struggling with different things. The second thing would be to define what that problem actually is and then start to kind of investigate and move on to the third stage which is investigate possible solutions and ideate essentially come up with as many ideas as you possibly can before prototyping a couple of those so if you think of those stages we're, we're trying to understand people understand those pain points those problems trying to you know really define what exactly that pain point is and then kind of move into lots of different ideas that you could prototype and then test with different users and test to, to validate whether it's a real thing so i think that process is really important it's 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 you don't have to follow exactly this kind of design thinking methodology but understanding who you're trying to serve is a really important thing you're not your users you need to find out who your users really are and that is done in a bunch of different ways. But when it does come to prototyping, again, this phrase that I have going on is, is if a picture paints a thousand words, then a prototype paints a thousand pictures. So with a prototype, you are able to, to get a feeling of what a thing is like, not just verbally what, what a product could be, but actually get a sense of how it would impact your life. Is it actually gonna solve some of those challenges that you might have? And prototypes take so many different forms. When Sometimes when, when we think about prototypes, we might think about prototype cars, which are like really actually like fully working things quite often, um, but a prototype can be, be pretty much anything i remember the first very first prototype i think probably the first prototype that i that i made was when i was doing a, i was doing a master's in in education back in uh the late noughties i guess show me like your now. age yeah don't. <laughs> <laughs> and and i i created this prototype of the where people learn and it was basically a shoebox um built around uh, like a, a kid's bedroom and basically the point was like learning happens anywhere, right? This was back then. Learning happens anywhere. It doesn't just happen in schools. But this kind of prototype to model what was going on kind of opened my mind into this world of prototyping. And now I prototype, I probably prototype daily. And it's not, it's a, it's a part of my practice. And it's not a big thing like right now I've got to go and prototype. It's just, I'm constantly prototyping. I'm constantly testing and validating ideas. Be that a sketch or be that you know, a high fidelity app prototype or be that some kind of um, footage that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm working on for, for a, a video or whatever. So I think prototyping is like, um, for me, again, it's a mindset. It's like a, a, a way of being in a state of mind to get yourself into in order to understand you and collect your thoughts as well. So that's pretty deep. 
but I think, you know, that's my firm belief. It's a really good point. I mean, I love your quote that, you know, a prototype paints a thousand pictures and it really sums it up nicely for me that because it's about, it's, it's about getting meaning or understanding from what it is you're trying to achieve. Right. And there's nothing like a picture to get across meaning and understanding. And then you take that a step further and the prototype's taking you through the whole workflow and the process of exactly what it is you're trying to achieve and, and the pains you're trying to solve. So I think that's, that's ace. And that, and that should be your, uh, you should be on your gravestone. When you, <laughs> that that yeah, is a Spencer's quote right there. That is it. You heard it here. That, that's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. What's going to make you famous? Um, that's, that's your first book, Spencer. <laughs> Whoa, mate, that's got to happen, right? It's got it to does. happen. That's, that that's is, what love, that this is, is what it. I love about talking to you because it's just these, you know, these ideas coming out constantly. Maybe that's what I need to do is prototype the book about prototyping. That's getting pretty meta. It's extra layers of like inception yeah. and meta going on here. <laughs> I love this. Love it. Love it. And talk about layers, right? So you always have these layers. Um, and I think you were touching on it briefly, but for a lot of people, most people think that a prototype is very static, a very, um, very one dimensional thing when it just happens once and then you get onto it. Right. And I've always tried to tell people that this is not the process of prototyping uh, process prototyping is a process of a long business journey right it's forevermore you've got to be moving forwards and learning about what it is that you're trying to solve and that can be pivoting is a big word for that um but prototyping is really important for pivoting right how the hell do you know where to pivot if you don't know what you're trying to solve and what the what you're learning from those prototypes so just kind of give me an understanding of um the the prototype layers that you would necessarily go through step one two three you know just just run through what you would normally do in one of your workshops yeah and so i think thinking about you know your audience entrepreneurs people that may be looking for technology kind of businesses tech tech startups perhaps as well it's always kind of blending that tech side let's let's use for simplicity and for that audience this idea of like building an app right because that's just something that everyone understands it's pretty familiar with for us so i think those layers are really important it, it can start and you know when i'm running a design sprint of doing some facilitation then I'll, I'll essentially use these three or four steps every time and so the first one is just to get your ideas out of your head it's jotting notes it's making little drawings here and there it's kind of getting into that habit of getting it out of your head is a really important thing and even that can be a in, in a way is kind of a prototype because you're almost using that as a as a sense check on what you're thinking even i sometimes get to this point and I, it's funny that i'm pausing now because i don't sometimes don't know what i'm thinking until i either say it or until i draw it or until i model it until i prototype it um and so that first thing is kind of getting it out of your head and drawing something the second layer if you like the second step up from that would be okay well what does a wireframe essentially what does a screen look like for for this idea for this app and like i've just got a book here and this my book is full of these kind of things i've picked out like a random page then if you can if this is working here but it's basically like an app that gives me some buttons and takes me in a, on a journey. And it's just trying to get out what are those steps, those touch points on a journey that someone's gonna have to go through in order to successfully 
solve that problem that they had. So always thinking about that problem at every kind of step of the journey as well. Now, what I can do from this is these drawings are fine and there's some explanation, but if I was an end user and I wanted to test this, they would be like, well, I don't really get it. I can't click on anything because it's a piece of paper. Um, so what you can do is actually take a photo of this, put it into an app like Marvel app, um, not to be confused with Marvel Avengers. This is Marvel app. And this is, look, you can just take your phone take a picture of it and then create like hotspots, essentially these areas around a button that you can link to another page. So when, when people are then having to play with this on their phones, they can be swiping, clicking on things. Essentially it feels like a real app would, but it's done in a very lo-fi way. There's no design, there's no colors, there's no kind of graphics, there's no great brand elements at all. All you're trying to do at this point is say, can we can I get someone to progress their journey there where they're going to solve this problem that they've got? Um, so that's kind of a lo-fi, low-fidelity prototype. You don't have to be brilliant at drawing. You just need to get it out there and get it out of your head and then start to use that with, with, uh, with clients, with users, et cetera. Um, the third stage, I think, moving on from that would be a high-fidelity prototype. And this is where some software can come in to play. We could use something like Figma. That's great because it's free and it's all online. It's, it's browser-based. Figma, Adobe XD, Sketch, again, Marvel. There's a bunch of others as well, InVision. All of these tools basically help you create a visual prototype. So you can get high-fidelity graphics. You can create buttons. You can link a button to another page. You can have swipe um, interactivity as well. You can even get animations. And this whole thing then, when you get it onto your phone or when you want to test it with someone, it feels and it looks like a real app, but there's nothing behind it. It's what I sometimes kind of call a facade. Imagine like there's a castle or looking at it, it looks like a castle or like a film set that looks like a castle. Behind it, there's nothing. There's just scaffolding. There's no rooms. There's nothing else. That's the similar kind of thing that we're trying to create with this, this facade prototype, essentially. But the end user journey, that process that they go through would be the same. And that's what you're trying to test because you don't want to know whether it's feasible to build, whether you've got the talent to build it. You want to know whether your customers, whether your users are actually going to use the thing and it solves the problem that you're intending to solve. So there's like whatever that was, I think four stages of, of kind of prototype development, get those ideas out, sketch things stitch it together with a with an app where you're taking photos and then build out a more high fidelity prototype using one of those tools as well that's really nice that you've uh, listed all the tools as well and there's got to be a lot of people that that look at these tools but some of them can be quite um intense in terms of the the feature set that they have i mean if they just really want to just get get on and get going and not really think about um the complexity of the the app itself in terms of the the tool that they're using to prototype what, what's the one that you would recommend first and foremost every time so i would say you can this is this blew my mind to start with um but keynote if you're on a mac or powerpoint it sounds ridiculous right and I'd ne i so rarely would i recommend someone to go and use powerpoint um <laughs> because of all of the death by powerpoint presentations and stuff that we've had over the years but powerpoint can actually work and keynote is the one that i would prefer 
Um, but you can do it. You can change the screen size. You can create hotspots for buttons. You can link them in different ways. You can basically do everything that you would want with, with something like that. So that's something that people are familiar with, but they're only familiar with it often in the kind of mindset of creating a slide deck of creating a PowerPoint presentation for some, for some reason. Um, but actually switch that mindset, switch that focus away from that and into a screen and it works in just the way, same way. In fact, if you wanted to prototype a website, you can do it basically with exactly the same layout as you would do with a normal presentation. Just start to think, well, websites have got a menu quite often. So let's just draw a menu at the top here. They might have a menu down the left-hand side. They might have a big call to action button and starting to think about some of those patterns that you're familiar with from other websites, then you can start to create something very quickly. So I think that's a great tool really nice for kind of quickly mocking things up and getting them into people's hands i say into hands or into um into the computer maybe it's zoom at the moment is our kind of default for a lot of this work um but that can be so quick I, we can literally get something done in the next 10 minutes and i could send it over to you and you can go yes no this is good this is rubbish and you can learn from that instantly and i think the learning is the is the key part of the whole puzzle really I'm so glad you said PowerPoint because it's one of those things that in, unless someone tells you, you just would never discover it on your own. Right. And I first saw it once when someone had asked me to test their app and they were like, you know, Oh, can you, can you check out this PowerPoint? I was like, what are you talking about? What, have you not got, have you not got like, you know, a, a JPEGs or something like that, that. I can just have a look at the, you know, no, no, it's a PowerPoint. And I started playing with it. I was like, I was clicking through, clicking on the buttons. And I was so amazed at what, what it is that I could feel like I was on the journey. And I got the idea of what the app could do through PowerPoint. Uh, it blew my mind. So I'm really glad you've, uh, you've kind of picked that up and said that. It's it's a really interesting one. It's something that I think about quite a lot around creativity. Sometimes you need to go through a struggle. You need to use tools in different ways in order to, to kind of get that creativity muscle going, that creativity flow. If I remember when I was first making music with computers, um, back in Windows 95, 98 days, um, and I had Cubase 3.5 or something like that, I think. And I didn't have a keyboard because I'd like, I must have left my keyboard somewhere, whatever, I didn't have a keyboard. So I had to use, just use a mouse. So all of the naming conventions for my songs was just like one letter taken away because all I could do was highlight something, right click and press delete. But that pain that I went through and the challenge that I went through actually spurred on this interest in creativity. So I do sometimes think that people have all of these tools at their disposal it's almost like the paradox of choice. There is too much out there to know which way to go. Should I go and use this? Or should I go and use this? Should I go and use this? And sometimes just going back to basics and using something you're familiar with, but in a different way is a really interesting challenge and actually can kind of spur on that creativity as well, I think. So yeah, don't always jump for like the, the best, you know, the search, what's the best prototyping tool? Don't always jump for that. What can you build a prototype with you know, with something that you're already familiar with, that would absolutely be the best the best way to, to approach it to start with. It's a shiny object syndrome, isn't it? That's definitely what it is. We're all just a bunch of magpies, really. Um, we always want to go for the best, shiniest, nicest thing. Um, but there's always that learning curve, right? There's always a learning curve. And this is what I always try and tell people is that if you're, if you, if you got to 
achieve something, you want that learning curve to be as shallow as possible because you're never going to do it. 100%. I think I'm so glad that you say that. You, you do because you need, you need those quick wins. You need that, you know, that you need to see that progression. Um, yeah, something, if it's, if it's too great a leap, it's so easy to get demotivated. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think that's the thing, right? And we talk about this quite a lot as well is just prioritizing creating stuff, you know, just and, and get into this habit of practice because, you know, practice makes progress. Um, and I said that to my daughter, she's like, no, it doesn't. It makes perfect. I was like, no, it definitely does not make perfect. It makes progress. Every single practice that you go through, every round, every loop and every cycle that you create is making progress for yourself against something. So that's totally the right way to do it. So what have we learned today? We've learned that you uh, don't love your family and you shout at your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> It's not true. Swiftly moving on, right? So we're talking about learning and we're talking about moving forwards. But how do you learn that, you know, what it is that you've done is right? And where do you go on that next iterative improvement? So you've made a prototype, then how do you know what the the second version of that prototype should look like? Now, how how do you, what, what are the things you're looking for? Yeah, that's a really, really great question because often... As you said earlier, a lot of people think that you build a prototype once and that's it. And, and actually it needs to be, there needs to be cycles of this and cycles of iteration and improvement. One of the things, if I kind of talk about a, a bit of a process, a bit of a flow that I use quite often, I generally try to start with a hypothesis or, or an assumption that turns into a hypothesis. And the difference there is that assumption is just a gut feeling that you have. You think something might be true, whereas a hypothesis is something that you can prove to be true or disprove to be true, if that makes sense. So you've got, you can, you can prove it out. So I think there's this um, tool or methodology approach that I use called a hypothesis mapping or assumption mapping, which is where you come out with a load of gut instincts, a load of things that you would like to be true and you hope maybe are true in order to be, to make your, your, your product successful. So just to kind of give a bit of a flavor on this, it could be that you have a hypothesis that says, um, I uh, thinking about a previous startup that I had here. Um, I think people, uh, if people are given the right thing to learn at the right time, they're much more likely to go and learn it. So if they're given the right piece of content as in a recommendation for the right piece of content, when they need it, they're much more likely to learn something valuable, right? So that's a, it's quite a big hypothesis to have, but the way that you do that is you think about a test that proves or disproves that hypothesis. So what we could do in that instance is go and test that with users. We could do a whole load of, there's so many different ways to test. In fact, I've got a book on my shelf up here called uh, Testing Business Ideas by the Strategizer Group. There's 44 different different tests that you can do that are all based around prototype testing prototypes. So you could go and speak to users, you could create a landing page and go and see whether people sign up for your, for your product, for your service, for your app, whatever. But the key thing is not just about the data that's gathered. It's about all the, the kind of numbers, the quantitative data that's gathered. It's also about the qualitative because that's going to inform where you go next. It's very easy to, to come to conclusions based on how many click-throughs you get, how many signups you get, those kind of things. But actually the really important thing is the, 
is the conversations that you can have with people. So I think at every stage, there has to be some kind of conversation that happens with people in order to know where to go to next. And it's not that you, you have, you should do everything that everybody says. It's about seeing and identifying where these patterns are, where these reoccurring themes are of where people are hitting challenge or what people's thoughts are. And that's the thing that should go basically into your roadmap or into your next phase of, of kind of development. If I come back though really quickly about this hypothesis mapping, the way that this works is that you have um, a scale from left to right about the things that you know versus the things that you don't know. So what do you have evidence for? And the other one on the other axis is like a two by two matrix. And on the other axis is um, how important that is for you. So you want to be focusing on the things that are really important to you as a business, existential threat. You need this to be true in order to, to work as a business and also things that you don't know because you don't have the evidence for. They're the things that you should be going and testing as quickly as possible. The things that are really important and you do have evidence for, go and build it. Really simple. Like that's the stuff you should go and do. But anything you don't have the evidence for, you haven't validated or, or uh, got the proof that it's going to work, you should go and test in, in whatever way you can. So as an, again, to build on this example, we did a, in, in the last startup that I was running, we did uh, some landing page tests. So we came up with 10 different ideas that are all kind of about a similar theme. We built 10 different landing pages. We served them onto, um, served them, we put them onto the web. Um, so we had 10 different versions of our site, you know, page one, page two, whatever it was. Um, I think we had code names for them all. Um, and then we served some ads. So we went on to Reddit, Facebook, actually Reddit was amazing for the, for the ads. Um, and we got people to sign up with a sign up button to these 10 different platforms. Uh, and what we found was that one came out really strong, 10 times better signups than all the others. There was one that came out fairly well um, and would have been okay um, because we did set our threshold of how many signups we were looking for to kind of validate the success. Two of them went over it, but one of them kind of got 10x returns, 10x what we, what we were expecting. Um, and then of course that's okay because then we go, well, let's double down on this idea and see what else we can do. But what else can we test was the important thing. And then we did a pricing test. So we, we did the same landing page, but we did it across maybe five different price brackets. So one of them was like $6 a month. One of them $9 a month. One was in $15 a month. One was that I think our maximum was like $49 or a month, no, $79 a month. We actually got a couple of people to sign up at that price, but it generally found out that between nine and $15 a month was a point that people would be willing to basically give us their credit card details. And this is the key thing. You've got to not just, it's not about like getting intent what you, what you need to do is prove intent that they want that thing to the point where they're giving you money. They think you give, they're giving you money. Um, and so we actually took credit card details. We actually charged people for an app that didn't exist. And I forgot to turn the Stripe integration on our, on our um, platform off for about six months. So we were charging people for six months for, for an app that didn't, didn't exist, right? So anyway, I had to apologize to them, gave them all their money back. And actually they became kind of loyal fans because we kind of turned this around for them. Anyway, I'm digressing. The point is you need to get the intent and then move on to, to the other things that you want to test. From that landing page test, we started to build out prototypes. We tested with those early users. 
we got it into their hands. We talked about what their, whether it was meeting their expectations, whether it wasn't meeting their expectations, why it was that they signed up. All of this data was really, really valuable in us in order for us to validate the viability of this, of this, um, this business idea. That's sorry. That was long. No, I loved but, it. And I was, I was hoping <laughs> you were going to chirp in about landing pages because I think there's a really, really viable option for people to understand whether the, the business solves the problem. And the fact that, you know, if you ask your friends and family about whether they would pay for something, 99% of them will say, yeah, yeah, I'll pay for that. Yeah. hundred percent, but actually giving you the money, right. That's, that's a massive one. And that barrier there's an emotional barrier there. And I definitely think that if you want to prove that, that you, your, your app solves a problem, you need to stick a payment gateway in hundred hey, percent. I, I totally agree. I, I don't think you can properly validate the viability of a business unless you've done that. You can validate the desirability to people actually want this thing. Is it attractive to them? That kind of thing. But actually it's the viability, which is the all important thing. And when people talk about minimum viable products, it's often that viable thing part that they're missing. They're kind of doing the smallest thing that they can in order you know, to try to validate it, but it's not necessarily a viable product, a viable solution that they're, that they're kind of testing. So I think it's really important that you, you really do do that. You know, that kind of mum test idea, you know, you tell, you tell your mum, you tell your family, unless you've got, oh, I was going to be harsh about my family again, then I can't possibly do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but, if, you know, if I, if, I, if I showed something to my mum, and I do do this, you know, she'll pat me on the back. Oh, aren't you great? Well done. Of course, absolutely love it. She might absolutely hate it, but, you know, um, but there you go. <laughs> but that's, yeah, getting the money, get it, get the money. That's the only way to really test and really know that you're onto something interesting. Hundred percent. So, how far do you go with creating prototypes? Right? Do you keep prototyping and keep prototyping, or do you get it into the hands of the customers and actually just build the thing, get the MVP out there? I mean, where's where's the line? I mean, is is it the same, or does it change depending exactly what you're learning? I think it can change. I think it's okay to accept that it's going to change. We. You know, we uh, we're living in this desire for agility, and I'm kind of saying that slightly smiling because of knowing so many clients that I'm working with and have worked with in the past that talk about being agile. And you know, anyway, that's probably another. That's probably part three. <laughs> but so we're we're striving for this agility. But I think it's really important that you know and you set the expectations of your team and other people what's a prototype and what's a production ready design and there is a big difference between those two things so i can knock up a, a prototype in hours minutes days depending on the fidelity and the, and the size of a prototype but when it comes to the handoff for, for production into an actual app into an actual software solution the attention to detail is so much so much more important you've got to really be thinking about every single element it working on the page the the user experience and the journey that you want can be tested in the prototype stages but actually the kind of specific ui elements are it's a kind of a different a different thing altogether in some ways it may and i think this is a a big point of confusion for a lot of the people that I work with that they kind of go, well, you managed to do a prototype in a day. Why is it taking you a week to, to build the 
the actual design stuff. And it's like, because every single pixel you need to be thinking about and representing that in, this, in the right way. You need to be thinking about your, your padding, your margins, your, the kerning on the text. You need to make sure that all the fonts are consistent, that they've got the right weighting so that when you do that handoff to a developer and they know they can kind of in, maybe pull out the CSS or whatever so that they're able to really understand and get all of that detail there, the code, the hex codes for the number, all that kind of stuff, all that good stuff. It's a completely different world that we're talking about. It's a different way of designing in some ways. So I think you have to be able to set those expectations. So with that being said, that you've kind of got these two separate things, I'll, I'll come back to the prototyping end of it rather than the kind of handoff for design, because you can be in a perpetual state of prototyping yourself as a design team, as a product team, you can constantly be going through these cycles of, of prototyping, but it's also really important that you identify the points that you need to hand off and you need to get that design over to development in order to, to get, rather than the prototype into, the, into users' hands, you need to go through that MVP stage. You need to get that product out there in a, in a working form so that you can then continue to learn and develop out that, that, um, that product from there. So I think you can, you can be constantly in a, in a prototyping phase, but it's really important that you differentiate that work that's happening from the production ready work. And you almost then have to have this, the way I look at it is this kind of two stage handoff. So rather than from, from just from design to development, you kind of have to have this handoff. Maybe it's just a mental handoff that you have for yourself from prototyping into production ready to design and then into development. So that's the way that I look at these, this stage of like three stages. So again, that pro this is the prototyping is all about ideas, right? It might be, I've got this idea for a new feature. It might be, there's a sticking point in the flow from, from a landing page into signing up fully for the app and then downloading the app. So how can I smooth off that journey? And that would be a prototyping thing. Then it goes into like, right now let's design that properly. So that, so the dev team properly know exactly what's going going on, and so they almost don't need to come back to you. Like constant communication is a really great thing, but if they don't need to come back and ask questions because it's it's also clear that that's a much smoother smoother flow. And of course, you can then bring in those principles around agile and and kind of the the rituals in order to make sure that that um, that. Uh, communication journey and progression continues to happen. So I think, I don't know whether that fully, I've kind of forgotten the question, um, if I'm honest, but hopefully that kind of gets somewhere, somewhere close to this, to, to the question you were answering. Yeah, I mean, it was about, it was about how far do you prototype before you release a, an app, right? So that's, that's kind of, and you, you summed it up beautifully. I mean, it, it, it changed and it is definitely depends so um but that kind of raises another thing it's like what can go wrong with prototyping right can you essentially get stuck in this perpetual design phase where you're actually always just designing and not actually get getting an app out there and you know sometimes when you ask people for feedback on your particular apps is that misleading you know is is that the thing that actually gives you the wrong direction and you go off and you make something like how how i mean what what is it that can go wrong with prototyping and, and how can you kind of prevent these yeah it's a really really great question and so the first thing that came to mind when you start to talk about this was kind of false positives 
So there are at times there are indicators that take you on a journey. And what I mean by that is, so when we're, when, I'll come back and explain it a bit better, hopefully. Um, when we're trying to validate a hypothesis, really what we're looking for is indicators of that validation. We can never truly prove out something categorically to be correct. I think that's one of the things. We have this scientific approach, but it's not a binary yes or no. It's often a like, yes, I think, but still it might not be. It's kind of where you want to get to. So, but you do get false, false positives. You also get false negatives. So there can be situations where you've done the wrong test for the, for the prototype that you've got. And actually it comes out negative, kind of a negative result. The thing shouldn't, doesn't work or whatever, but it might be that you've done the wrong test. So that's a, so I guess these false positives, false negatives, they happen. So what you need to bear in mind is that every test and every experiment that you run is an indicator on validating that thing. And that's one of the, the caveats. There is a point, of course, that you kind of go, enough testing already. Like, we, we kind of know that this thing is, has got a chance of being successful, but we don't, we're never going to know if we don't release it. So you've got to get that point across. Now, I was working with an organization quite recently that had gone through, and I worked with them a few months ago. I did some really quick, rapid prototyping stuff over a couple of weeks. We did a bunch of testing with it broadly found that there were some things that were resonating really well, some things that weren't. I went on off and did some other work with some different clients, came back after about five months. And really what I'd found out was that for that five month period, they had a really experienced person working with them that was focusing on product, but they'd really only focused on, and I say only, it's like a really big part of it, but they'd focused so much on user interviews and validating things through conversations that they, and they hadn't, designed anything else and I found out they were still using the same prototypes that I built in a couple of weeks you know really quickly after six months I was still using those to kind of validate stuff and they hadn't improved any of those things so they were in this perpetual cycle of of user interviews and they hadn't gone to the next stage of prototyping and uh, or you know proper prototyping and and testing that out so when I came back to work with them that was the first thing I did was prototyped as quickly as I could so that we can validate that as quickly as possible. Now, what I also did is we, we made sure that we were going to prototype and release as quickly as possible. So we went from not having a prototype at all to actually getting our first, first app on the app store this week. Um, and that was in the space of less than four weeks. So you can move really quickly when you're focused on the right goals. So I think coming back to a point we had way back about goals and not having this perpetual cycle of like trying to improve and trying to know more and more you've got to put a stake in the ground you've got to set yourself a deadline you've got to go right by this date i'm going to be able to deliver i'm going to get this published i'm going to get it out there then i'm going to go through more cycles of learning it's not about prioritizing the prototyping it's about prioritizing the learning that can happen and that can happen in a bunch of different ways so there are a couple of traps that you can fall into as i said you know false negatives, false positives, perpetual cycles of, of prototyping, perpetual cycles of user validation or user research that can happen. Result, really, the, the big thing that you need to be focusing on is what's that stake in the ground? What's that flag, that goal that you're aiming for? Give yourself a timeline, um, give yourself a, uh, uh, a, a that goal and work backwards from there sometimes as well is a really good way uh, to go about doing it. So, yeah, I was getting I, slightly uh... lost again that one. <laughs> I sense that um, there were some quick wins popping out of there. So I think it's a good good time to actually talk about what's your top three 
quick wins that you know if you were going to give to your the, to the audience about how to get started with prototyping or just to maximize bang for the buck um, and get the most insight in the shortest amount of time what would those top three things be so i think the i'm gonna we, we so the first thing that i'm going to talk about is talking actually the quickest win for you to get to understand whether your idea has any substance is talk to people. Never forget whether you're CEO, CTO, whether you're a developer, where you are within the organization, prioritize talking to people. Doesn't have to be called a customer research, doesn't have to be called user research. Just talk to people about their problems and what you're trying to do. That's the first thing. And it's so easy, right? Quick win. You can send out a message to someone, you can get on a Zoom call within minutes. Like that's, that's doable. People think it's hard, but it's not. It's really easy to be doing. Speak to people constantly. Try and speak to someone new each day. That's a, that would be an amazing thing. So that's number one. Number two is get ideas out of your head. Get thoughts, whether it's a brand new idea, whether it's a, a hack for, for, um, for converting people on a landing page, whether it's a new feature that you want to have, whether it's a new color for but anything just get it out of your head make lists of things and you know my my buddy our good friend nick he talks about this creativity muscle that you have to try to try to create and it only comes from constant repetition it's like trying to lift weights you're never going to get big and bulky unless you put in the the reps you've got to keep repping so making lists of of ideas is a really good thing to do so my second tip would be jot everything down, get it out of your head, get it onto paper as quickly as possible. The third tip, similar theme, but like we've talked about this so much is, is get those ideas into some kind of tangible form. Draw a screen out, draw what you think a journey is. That is a prototype in a sense, essentially. You've got to be able to draw out this flow because sometimes it's really hard to, to figure it out in your head and it's just not a good use of your time. It's not good use of your, of your brain power draw out the steps that it takes, get a prototype. I mean, I've literally got them if I can. I've got them up here on my, can you see this? On my wall yeah, here, it... drawings, post-it notes. This is something I'm working on live. And it's my, it's just my way of constant connection to what I'm doing, even though I'm in high fidelity mode over here, kind of coming over here to look like, what was that thing that I was trying to do? So it's really valuable to kind of go through that, that um, hand-drawn process as well. It doesn't matter how great or poor you are at, at drawing, just got to do it, get it out there. Yeah, I, I love that. Those are quick, right? Quick wins. Talk to people, write all of your thoughts out and start drawing screens. Come on, we can all do that. We can all do that today, right? So audience, you're listening, you should definitely do that. Um, so I guess the next thing is if people want to learn about prototyping, where, where can they go to learn more? you know, what's the books that you recommend? What's the, the resources online that you recommend that, that gives them this, you know, and keeping in, in, in theme with the, uh, the podcast itself, you know, quick win CTO, what's going to be the thing that's quick for them to, to learn all this? Mate. Oh, there are, I mean, we know there's an infinite repository out there of incredible courses, videos, etc. You know, YouTube is our friend. YouTube's a place where I probably learn more stuff than I do from anywhere else. If I'm honest, I 
I could give you a bunch of courses, but if I'm honest, I don't learn well with courses. And this is quite ironic given that I'm a former teacher and a, and a kind of learning specialist. Um, but I don't do, I don't learn courses very well. So I could, you know, I've got 20 Udemy courses that I've bought and I've not doing any of them. I've not progressed through any of them. So I think that courses do serve a purpose for some people, but they're not the best, but there are things like Udemy. There's some really good courses on Coursera. There's some great stuff out on, um, Oh, there's a really great place for learning product UX um, design stuff, prototyping called, um, uh, it's called learnux.io, I think it is. It looks really nice, really nice web page. That's really cool. It's, bit, it's paid for, but it's not like crazy prices. Um, I think there's so much stuff on YouTube though, really do. But the key thing is when you're watching YouTube, it's not just to sit and be a passive observer and a passive watcher of these things. Pause the video, go and try it, go and experiment play around with some of these tools um because that's the best way to learn it's the best way to firstly know whether you enjoy doing this stuff um but then that's the you know the second thing is that it's it's a great way to to learn you've got to be active in your learning i think um but yeah definitely youtube um and uh and my channel on youtube definitely everyone's just Famous go subscribe plug. there's good spencer airs <laughs> yeah right. so it's a really good point. I mean, in terms of courses and, um, you know, doing a, a course that's self-motivated is almost impossible, right? I, I never, I've never completed those myself, but doing one that you had, you were set a task and every week you went off and you had to do something and then you had a community to support you on that. Um, essentially what we're doing at the moment, right? So I'm making videos and you're supporting me on that and it, it keeps me moving forward, but it also, it's really important to understand that we should only be learning about things when we're trying to deal with the problem, right? So I only ever go on YouTube and I'm building something or I'm making something to find the solution for that problem that I'm in that, that, that moment and in, in that time that I'm actually doing it. And, and that's because you you may have iterated on or, or spoke about earlier it's that the brain's not really good, good at remembering it's good at processing and and digesting and 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 actually problem solving and that's the way i problem solve right and that's by looking at other ways of dealing with that problem would you agree with that oh goodness mate that is such a perfect summing up of of a problem and some people some people naturally just have this incredible ability to learn anything and just have this and i have this curious i mean I, i've got a curious mind but not to the point where i would be happy to go and learn just for the sake of learning for, and actually you can relate this to kind of product development and, and stuff as well right so if we think about our users needing to solve a problem that's the best way to build a product that, you know for a problem that really exists it's the same thing with our our learning right our own development if we don't have that problem that's stopping us that's blocking us that's stopping our the development of an app we're not gonna we're not gonna learn that stuff so i think it's a really good a really good way to to look at that is you know what's the what's the thing that's driving you forward and then go and learn the stuff that you need in a tactical way to get you over those 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 barriers you know those those challenges um i think it's such a such a good point motivation is one of the hardest things to have but if you have it because you have a pain and you're looking 
to improve, then wow, you know, one of those things, okay, I'm waffling a little bit, but one thing that really strikes me is interesting is we're going to, we're about to go through the biggest crisis in terms of employment. We are, we're, we're right there now, right? Biggest crisis in terms of employability and, and employment that we've ever, we've ever had perhaps in generations, certainly. But yet, and the, we've got this big problem around skills development and getting people to get the new skills that they ha- they need to have. But yet every single bit of knowledge exists out there on the internet, accessible for free and at the, at the touch of a couple of buttons for every person in this country, yet they still don't learn. And why is that? It has to come down to that motivation. It has to come down to them not seeing that this is, I mean, there's probably other factors, right? But at, at its core, it's, it's probably about motivation. I really hope that when when people are going through the real challenging points and they're maybe struggling financially struggling from employment that this is a big enough motivating factor for people to reskill to go find things it's all out there you just need to do a little bit of searching if you can't find stuff about ux get in touch with chris or myself because we will be able to point you out in the right direction but like yeah it's there just waiting waiting to be consumed and waiting to be given to you to, to help you help move you on i don't know yeah there's got to be a way that we can help those people even more uh, it's it's something that i've always thought about and um i think having easy access to this information and and, and holding their hand down this process of relearning and reskilling and retooling right if i go down to the manufacturing way of thinking um is the big thing um and i think it's just taking that leap and getting that confidence. So yeah. I think that that sums up really nicely and we'll wrap it up now today, Spencer. But what I want to kind of give our audience is that, you know, how, how can they connect with you? How can they, you know, find out about your workshops that you do and, and work with you? Because if anyone needs prototyping or wants to get started on a business idea, you should definitely check out Spencer. Thanks, man. Um, really appreciate it. Yeah, so you can get me on YouTube. It's probably the place where I'm putting out the most content at the moment. That's just Spencer Ayres. So youtube.com forward slash Spencer Ayres. Also Instagram, which is annoyingly Spen Ayres, S-P-E-N-A-Y-R-E-S. Instagram's a good one. LinkedIn, of course, Spencer Ayres, search me there. But also um, the business. I think we were talking about the business earlier, but not really mentioned what it is. Uh, makeideas.co. Um if you were to go there today, you would see that there is no, not a landing page yet. Uh, it's a bit of a, um, all the things that I've said, and I haven't got a landing page um, for, for our website yet, but there will be very soon. Um, makeideas.co is where all of this st- kind of stuff comes together. Essentially product design, product agency, but also content agency as well. So we, we create a lot of video content for other, for other people as well. So basically if you have needs around around building new stuff, about prototyping, about facilitation for ideas, or indeed about creating content, business content, innovation content, then definitely head over to makeideas.co. There will be very shortly a really beautiful website put up, I'm sure. Well, you, ha- you have to now. There's, uh, there's going to be go- people go into it. So uh, thanks, Spencer. Really appreciate that. Always insightful. And I'm looking forward to our next ones because uh, genuinely it's going to be pretty awesome. Awesome. Mate, this is absolutely joyous. I'm so glad that you're doing this. Um, loads of people are going to get huge maps out of it. So I can't wait to watch your, your progress and your stuff as well. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm.
Fantastic insights about prototyping there. Loved hearing about how a prototype tells a thousand pictures. What a vivid illustration of how it works. But what was your favourite bit of the show? Tell me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok or YouTube. Yeah, you can find me with at Hair Digital. And don't forget, you can also watch this show on YouTube or listen on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And remember, I'm giving away 10 of my favourite business books, including Lane Startup and Business Model Canvas, to one lucky winner. These are great for all levels of skill, from a CEO to a founder. And to enter, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and scroll to the bottom and leave a review. Doesn't have to be detailed, you can just say that you love this podcast. It just takes a few moments to do, then email quickwinceo at hair.digital. But thank you for listening, and until next time, I'm the Quick Win CEO, signing out.